You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Well, well, look who it is. Look who it is. How are you doing today? Hope you're doing well. This is the Nine Finger, uh, the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. You guys know that. Thanks for tuning in. Today we have another great episode. We're going to be talking with outdoor writer. Uh, he also works in the hunting industry for Cuddyback, but uh, he out, outdoor writer nonetheless, Paul Anir. And uh, man, Paul's just a, a good guy. I've known him for, I mean, I, I can't really remember even. It's been a while, several years that I've known him. And uh, I said, hey, man, you want to hop on the podcast and just BS a little bit? And uh, sure enough, that's what we did today. Uh, that's a, And that makes for the best the best type of podcast when there is no script you just start talking and uh, man we talk we talk a little bit about everything it's a it's a really fun episode but I got to tell you I'm a little tired uh, I am and I think I've mentioned this on another podcast but I am a baseball coach I'm also a football coach and so every single night we have something going on I'm, I'm coaching something and I didn't know how like, I, I knew how tiring yelling at my own kids was, but I didn't know how tiring yelling at 16 kids is and trying to teach them intricate football plays, how to stand and, and stuff like that. So we have our very first game this weekend and tonight we were tonight we were practicing blocking and running uh running the play so i had a stack of six plays i wanted to get through we got through one play and we learned how to run it to the right and we learned how to run it to the left so here we have a bunch of six seven potentially eight year olds first and second graders (laughs) man i've never wanted to drink bourbon more than after this practice tonight i i always like I, i go into the practice and i say all right Hey guys, I have two rules at this age. Two rules. Number one, when I'm talking, you're not talking. Right? When I'm talking, you're not talking. Number two is have fun. If if you listen to me, I'll teach you how to play football and we'll have a lot of fun scoring touchdowns. And you want to talk about herding cats tonight? That is exactly what I did. These kids, I, I just don't remember kids bouncing around as much as they do these days. Like, I'm sure I was an energetic kid at some point, but I just don't remember kids bouncing around, shaking, dancing, you know, pulling grass. Eating. Now we had our we had our fair share of dirt eaters in you know in in sports throughout the years, but not at the rate. So I don't know. They're saying that you know certain you know they they use the term on the spectrum. Why don't <laughs> maybe I should just stop. Maybe I should just stop and and just say it's interesting being a coach to first and second graders and trying to teach them football plays. That's all I'm going to say. Patience is my best friend at this point. 
I don't get too mad at him. Um, then I end the practice. <laughs> I end the practice and I go, hey guys, um, we really got to focus on next practice. So get all your wigglies and your squirmies and everything out of the system and come back. And uh, and and Thursday, we got to have a better practice so that Sunday when we play our game, we know what the heck we're doing. And so they're like, yeah, let's do it. And, uh, and uh, good luck is what I'm going to say to myself. Good luck. Hopefully it all works out. But again, awesome podcast today. Paul's from Wisconsin. He talks about Wisconsin deer hunting. Uh, he talks about being an outdoor rider. He talks about working for Cuddyback. He talks about, uh, we talk about kids. We talk about getting kids into hunting. We talk about turkey hunting, so forth, so on. It's a good episode. But before we get into the episode, man, we're going to knock out some, some commercials. And I'm just going to do it quick today because I'm exhausted. If you're looking for a saddle, you got to go check out Tethered. You know, Tethered is one of the most popular for a reason. Uh, Saddle hunting accessories, saddle hunting platforms, saddles themselves, uh, climbing sticks, you name it, they have it. On top of that, they have all the information you need on how to become a better saddle hunter. So go check out Tethered. Wasparchery.com, 20% discount code, NFC20 for some of the uh, best built, best material, best design broadheads on the market period Uh, majority of their heads are made in america and they absolutely destroy everything that they hit and uh that's why i've been using them for as long as i've been using them hunt stand you know this time the this time of year man we gotta we gotta focus on the next season and i mentioned in an uh, earlier podcast i want to say three podcasts ago i talk about studying like you would study for a test and the, the test is the hunting season and so we got to study the maps we got to study the trail camera pictures we got to study the terrain and all that adds up for a cheat sheet for the upcoming uh, year and, and i do that with hunt stand uh, next on the list is vortex if you're looking for in my opinion the gold standard in the hunting industry as far as um uh, as far as you know, optics are concerned, definitely check out, uh, you definitely have to go check out Vortex Optics, man. Spotting scopes, rifle scopes, binoculars, range finders, red dots, you name it, they have it. Uh, VIP warranty. Uh, and on top of that, they have now one of the most badass apparel lines uh, in the outdoor space. Like their Vortex gear is, is, is top notch and I'm decked out in it every single day. And uh, so go check it out, vortexoptics.com. That are the, that's the commercials. Looking forward to uh, May. Looking forward to introducing May and July. Uh, introducing some new uh, some new partners. Outside of that, man, uh, go to iTunes, leave a leave a review. And now I'm going to go fall asleep. Enjoy the episode, and we'll talk to you next time. Three, two, one. All right, on the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast with me today, Mr. Paul Anir. Paul, what's up, man? Not so much, Dan. I'm uh, coming to you live from a Menards parking lot, so I don't know if uh, I, you know, I don't know if a lot of good things happen in parking lots here at big box stores, but but here I find myself talking to you in a Menards parking lot, so life is good. I tell you what, I can think of about five other big box stores where I would I wouldn't want to be in compared to a Menards. I feel like Menards is a safe spot and I also feel now that you've mentioned it, I feel like there's a lot of concealed carry people who shop at uh at Menards, so I feel like you're pretty safe. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. <laughs> well, it's not funny at all actually that our minds immediately go to concealed carry and the fact that we need to do that right now, but right. Yeah, um, point well taken. Yes, right. I, I would agree. The clientele at a Menards is relatively uh, relatively safe as compared to some other spots we could be hanging out in. <laughs> That's a fact. That's a fact. <laughs> and uh, for those of you who can't are, are, are listening to this and not watching this, I see you have a couple car seats in, in the back of your vehicle. How many, oh, dude. How many kids do you have? Yeah. I got three. Three. And they're all... They're all two of them are crazy, and one one of them's getting there. <laughs> I got I got two boys. Um, one of them's uh, seven, five, and then my daughter, who uh, has pink eye currently. So that's been awesome oh, to deal yeah. with. Uh, she's she's four, so 
Oh yeah, dude, they're they're insane. Like the other day, we we live in a neighborhood, and uh, we have houses all behind us and kitty corner neighbors and all that. We talk to them all, and it's we're all cool with them and stuff. But the other day, like I'm sitting here doing dishes, making dinner, my wife's just hanging out in the kitchen with me. Just kind of, we just got home from work, taking care of a few things, and I look out, and the boys are standing across from each other kind of offset and they're both just peeing in the yard nice and it's like sweet yeah yep. like this is great yep. yeah neighbors everybody just yeah letting it go <laughs> so yeah no I, I i got all the car seats in here the car is actually it's not too bad right now so I'm, yeah my, my wife cleaned out our uh, van the other day and we, we call it the trash wagon so oh, yeah it's uh, not too trashy anymore but Nope. Yeah. I got three kids. So life is busy, but life's good. Yeah. Wouldn't, wouldn't change it. I tell you this, uh, speaking of, uh, urinating in public, my youngest boy walks out and, and I'm like, we're friends with everybody in our neighborhood too. And so my youngest boy walks out the front door, drops his pants. And you know how like five-year-olds, they don't just whip it out. They just drop their pants all the way down to their ankles. And then they go oh, to yeah. the bathroom and he is sure. peeing facing my neighbor's house so he's he's basically exposing himself to my neighbor oh yeah and he he threatened me and he's like uh hey listen if he does that again i'm calling the cops because he's got four he has four daughters and so we always joke around uh you know things oh, things like that so it's a kid for, it's a it's a kid infested neighborhood and kids do crazy things man like i'm honestly oh, yeah. i'm honestly surprised no one in my family has had a broken bone yet yeah same here same here it's crazy our neighbors kitty corner to us we get along with them great they yeah. have kids our age too they have a big play set and uh our kids like one of our middle kid will just stand up on the very top of it and like dance around and yell <laughs> and he's up there like 10 11 feet yeah. and they're like you're not too worried i'm like I mean, yes, but like he's gonna do it anyway. So it's yeah. like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah no, same here. We where where do you live? Wild, um, just south of Green Bay. Okay, about fifteen minutes. Gotcha. Yep. Wisconsin. Um, and and then yeah. uh, let's see here. So I'm in Eastern Iowa today, and I'm guessing you got somewhat of the same weather that we have today. I mean, it, down here in Iowa, it is absolutely. I don't think there's been a cloud in the sky for like two straight days it's been gorgeous here same here yeah it finally feels like spring it was i'd say like overall like probably for you guys too and everywhere it was a relatively mild winter mm -hmm. until late february yeah <laughs> like we had periods we had periods all winter where it would snow melt snow melt and it was like hey you know it's not we've never had two three weeks of stretches where it's like a high of five degrees and you know in the negative teens and all that it really was a mild winter and then spring just would never come and it you know it feels like it's finally here but yeah today is beautiful like this is the kind of weather where i kind of lose my whitetail mind a little bit and yeah. it starts to shift over to turkey hunting yeah. and it's like okay like i can't really get fired up about turkey hunting until it starts to get days like this and it's right it's beautiful out it's just awesome Right. I took my daughter out uh, for her first ever youth season this week. And now she's been hunting with me before, but she was behind the gun this time. And so we went out and we practiced shooting a little bit. And uh, long story short, first day didn't work out. There were some other people working on the property. Uh, next day, we went out to roughly the same place. And uh, if it wasn't for a hen busting us, I feel like we would have... Uh, we would have got a crack. This this Tom needed to step five more feet out from behind this tree to clear, and then we, we probably would have had a shot. But they were going bananas in the tree. They were responding very well. I was really happy about just hearing the gobbles and the turkey population in general uh, over the last uh, you know over the last like seven to ten years. I just feel it. It was in a big decline. What's the turkey population up there by you? Dude, it's crazy. Up in northeastern Wisconsin, there are tons of turkeys. Okay. And like everywhere, which is really weird because like up here, people that are listening know this, like there's just woodlots everywhere up here in northeast Wisconsin. But I mean by that, like small woodlots, not mm -hmm. like a big contingency of like huge timber, nothing like that. Monstrous farm fields. And then you'll come across 20 acres of woods yep. and then maybe a river 
another 10 acres and then a 200 acre crop field. But yet there are tons of birds up here. So I don't know if because of like small woodlots being everywhere, maybe there's not like the population of predators that there would be in an area with a huge swath of timber or whatever. Mm -hmm. But no, bird populations are crazy up here. There's just a really healthy, healthy population. I was just out shed hunting this weekend and uh, I was out with my daughter and I, I drove to this dead end place, uh, dead end road where I can park and have access to shed hunt. And there was jakes everywhere, some toms, a bunch of hens, like just the whole representation of like turkey populations in one, you know, bunched up group. It was awesome. Like it yeah. just, it's crazy. And there's uh, where I have access to hunt up here. There's some really good landowners that uh, a couple people have some land enrolled in CRP. Um, and then one of the properties I hunt, it's not specifically enrolled in the government CRP, but it's just an old field. And then all summer and spring, it's like four, five foot high grasses and it's like a 15 acre field. So I, I have a feeling a lot of, a lot of hens nest in there and it's just really good cover. So like yeah. in my specific neighborhood, there's just a ton of turkeys. I mean, it's, it's really cool. But where I, where I was born and raised, um, in Southwest Wisconsin, that's where I do most of my deer hunting. Okay. I don't really turkey hunt back there cause it's just such a such a far drive and turkey hunting i just never know what's going to be going on in the spring my yeah. wife she's got a bunch of things going on and it's, it's hard to plan for turkey hunting but there's just not the turkey population back there in southwest wisconsin like there was back in the you know 90s and early 2000s and all that which is odd because there's there's so much more cover yeah but there's just you know, no, nobody traps anymore i mean no. it's getting more popular for sure um there's more of the attention being brought forth to it kind of like the whole you know a lot of people doing prescribed fire and all that it's you know yeah. trapping's maybe a little bit of a comeback but there's no money in it yeah um so yeah i don't know but uh overall i mean yeah i feel like turkey turkey populations are doing better and there's just so much more attention brought to the topic right now which is great yeah that's, that's all that's yeah. all really good stuff yeah i mean I, I was uh you know on one of my Instagram scrolls that I, I do on a weekly basis and noticed uh, a guy comment that he had trapped like 110, a combination of 110 uh, raccoons and possums the previous year from his, uh, yeah, like the previous year from this river bottom, 20 acre river bottom ground that he had. And he has now seen way more turkeys on that property and he can't help but think that that is a direct correlation of an over like i mean i even myself i've talked to the department of natural resources here at iowa in iowa and they have said that raccoons are are a problem i mean a very yep. very big problem in uh the state of iowa as far as overpopulation is concerned and you can't help but think that they have uh, a, a direct any ground nesting bird, right? Anything like oh, yeah. that, that, I mean, quail, pheasant, there's a direct, there's a direct correlation with that. Now, here's the cool thing. This year, uh, while, while I was out youth, not only did we hear and see more turkeys, but we heard and saw a ton of rooster pheasants too. And so oh, it's, cool. it seems like they're making a comeback. Yep. Yep. It's, uh, it's crazy too. Like, going back to the cover thing, like where my parents live and where I was born and raised and grew up and everything in Southwest Wisconsin, they have like 30 acres enrolled in CRP and a bunch of really good cover. Like it's just cover everywhere. Right. And I run a ton of trail cameras and I never see strutting turkeys on like edges and mowed paths. Like I think I would. You're right. And it's just, I think it is. I think it has a lot to do with like ground predators and, and stuff like that. And there's more raccoons in today's world than ever before. I would I, like, I, okay, don't quote me on that, but I would venture oh, to guess yeah. that there are more raccoons right now than ever before in history. Yeah. And yeah, I, mean, I think there's, I, I've seen like some viral Instagram reels out there or whatever of like, uh, I think there's one video of a, a hen turkey, like just fighting off a coon, like in the middle of the night. Yeah. And it's just, it just shows the struggle that turkeys have. Like they just, I mean, yeah. the young pole can't fly. They can't, you know, they rely on cover. They don't have it. And if too many nesting uh, nest predators, they're they're going to struggle. Yeah, which blows my mind, right? I mean, <clears throat> think of all the birds 
in North America that nest in a tree, right? I mean, there's thousands of different species that, that nest in trees, right? Anywhere from predators to songbirds and everything in between, right? And then the turkey has evolved to nest on the ground. And so, and so I would assume that turkeys, you know, the, I don't know, like, I don't understand why a bird would then, you would roost in a tree at night, but then you would nest on the ground during your breeding season. Mm-hmm. And so maybe it's just because of their sheer size or yeah. whatever. It just, it, it, it just, it's interesting that, uh, uh, that they roost in the tree to avoid predators, but then they nest on the ground and maybe that's why they have, they, they lay so many eggs in a nest compared to like a, a Robin that'll probably lay like four, three or four. You know what I mean? Sure. Yep. Yep. For sure. To make up for the potential fact that they're going to, they're going to lose some eggs Yeah, <laughs> and they yep. know it. It's yep. the species way of kind of making sure that they multiply, <laughs> yeah. I guess. Yeah. Dude, going back some, something really quick. How old is your daughter? My daughter is 10. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. 10. Yep. When did she, this is something I've like been wrestling with and I wrote this down because I didn't want to forget to ask you. Yeah. I, I don't know, like, what are your thoughts on getting, like, young kids, like, into hunting? Like, really young kids. Like, you have two younger boys, too, right? Right. Right. I'm struggling. Like, I don't, me and my buddy have talked about this a ton. Like, I, I have a seven and a five-year-old. And it's like, I know some people are taking their young kids out hunting and shooting deer at five, six years mm-hmm. old. It's like, man, I don't, I just don't know. I, I like, I wanted to get your thoughts on that. Like, I don't know when you and your daughter started hunting like 10, you know, that's, that's a good age. And yeah. she's girls are a little more, seems like a little more mature than, than young boys, maybe. but yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe. I, I don't know how to go about that. I'm like struggling. Cause it's like, man, I want to get my kid out there, but like, you know, they're, they're wild kids. And I don't know uh, if a gun in his hand is gonna, gonna really fly right now it's just something i talk about with my friends all the time and wanted to get your opinion on that yeah that's a great question because i struggle with it too right number one my two youngest boys they are not in any position i mean that's why i take them fishing that's why i take them uh shed hunting maybe looking for mushrooms things where you can be loud things where you can move around a lot and, and and introduce them that way uh, my daughter last year was not ready. I mean, she was bouncing up like a, a jumping bean. But this year, yeah. she finally grasps, okay, way stiller, way quieter. Um, and and I had a conversation with a, a guy who his, his boy's like seven now, and he introduced, he, he started having him shoot a rifle. And I'm not sure what state it was. It was in the southeast. But I had a conversation with a guy, and his boy has killed like four deer now. Uh, within the first two, wow. within his first three hunting seasons. And he was telling me that his boy at five years old was ready. Be, like he was just interested. He wanted to go all the time. If dad went, he went. And so he w- he would just take him into the woods with him every time. Right. But I think it's the interest level, like that kid's interest level uh, and, and, and the guy, the guy was like, Hey, you know what? Um, there were days where we had to leave early. There were days where he got cold. There were days where, you know, we'd get out there, I'd set up and he would want to go back in, but I still took him every time because now he wants to be, he, he not only wants to go, but he wants to kill deer. Right. So he's making that, he's making that, um, that, you know, slowly making that jump. And I just think at different ages, kids mature at, you know, at different rates. I mean, shit, I'm 42 and I wouldn't consider myself adult until I was about 37. So, (laughs) you know what I mean? And so, uh, I think that 
every kid has a different level of interests. Uh, every kid has it. I mean, cause I asked my sons, Hey, do you want to come hunting with daddy sometime? My, my five-year-old, he's like, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll I want to come with you sometime. I want to come hunting with you sometime. Are you going to stand yep. still? And he'll be like, mm, no. I'm like, okay. And then my <laughs> oldest son, not. my oldest son, he's in, he's into the sports right now. I mean, that's what he wants to yeah. do. He want he does want to come with me. But I just feel like they're not ready from a patient standpoint yet. And then once there's this patience level, and a lot of it has to do like I don't have tower blinds. I don't have ground blinds. I do everything from the ground or in a tree stand. And so it would be difficult for me to involve kids if they're not, you know what I mean? If they're not. uh, For sure. Have the, the, I guess, the utensils necessary for that style of hunting. But I think each kid's different, man. And and you will know instantly when you take them out, right? If you yeah. decide to take them out for a morning turkey hunt and get up early and uh, you step in the woods and they're, they, they're wanting to leave before fly down, then, hey, maybe you got to wait another year. You know what I mean? <laughs> for sure. For sure. Yeah, it's a struggle. Like I was, I'm not a super experienced turkey hunter, but like yeah. I did some learn to hunt programs when I was a kid and whatnot like 12, 13, 14 mm-hmm. years old or whatever. And like, dude, I'm not going to lie. Getting up at like four fifteen sucked. Yeah. Like I hated that. Yeah. And I didn't have that experience of like seeing a gobbler right out in front of us. Right. Or even like a, like a moment of like, holy crap, this is going to happen. Yeah. Like I'm, they're coming in or whatever. I didn't even have one hang out or hang up at like 50, 60 yards, you know? Yeah. So I never really had that. So that's cool that your daughter has had some of those close experiences and yeah, like, my older son, he's, he's all football and sports yeah. and, and that's, and it's, yeah. you know, I take him shed hunting and we get outside a ton, but like physically putting a gun in his hand and having him pull the trigger sounds like, sounds like it's a long ways away right now. And it feels like it's a long ways away, but yeah. How, man, how I, tall is he? How much I does he weigh? How much does he weigh? Uh, he's roughly? like 65 okay 60 pounds or whatever yeah he's super tall and skinny he's just a rail but yeah he's uh i mean man i've seen on instagram a four-year-old kill a turkey this year now of course dude yeah that kid had the gun in a basically device that you could and the only thing that they had to do was line it up and pull the trigger right so everything was done for them uh, yep. I don't operate that way. Uh, I'm more of yeah. a, Hey, we're going to do it the real way. Um, uh, because figure and, it out. Yeah. yeah I, man, yeah. here's how I learned to turkey hunt. My uncle and me walked into public ground, no blinds. And we just, yep. we just walked, we would call and move, call and move, call and move. And then if one responded, uh, we would set up on it and call it in. And if it, if it turned around and yep. went the other way, we tried to flank it and, you know, all, and we were just constantly moving. And I think, I think that that's a little bit more fun than sitting in a ground blind for four or five hours. And me too. And it allows you to get out there and look at bugs and play in the dirt and jump in a crick and, and, you know, do all these things with the expectation yep. of you n- more than likely, you're not going to get a turkey. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I think including just, you know, the nature part of it is is all what it's all about. And yeah, I don't have any, like, box blinds or anything either. And I, I grew up hunting, like, stump sitting, you yeah. know, like gun hunting. I still, with uh, the gun deer hunt in Wisconsin, I still have yet to ever shoot a deer with a rifle from a tree stand. Hey. With our hill country and everything, like, it's, I, I feel like it's almost a disadvantage Right. To sit in a tree stand with a rifle. Yeah. So I, uh, yeah. So I don't have any, you know, comfy blinds or anything to sit in it, sit in and turkey hunt and all that with our kids. It's going to be run and gun type stuff. And yeah, no, you just got to keep it fun. But yeah, yeah I, I struggle with that whole young kids and hunting thing. I just, I feel like there's so many parents wanting to push it and just get their kids out at a super young age and almost force the issue. And I don't yeah. know. I just, here's I struggle what, with that. Uh, here's what I would say. I would rather so, hunt with my kid when he's 16, 17, 18, than I would mm-hmm. with him right now. That's the way I look at it. Like I would rather have a, have a lifelong hunter out of it where I can call my boy up and I'm like, Hey dude, solid giant. Let's go get him. And, and just, you know, try to, you know, play, kind of turn them into killers. Like what I feel like I am. 
And I feel like that, if I could get them to that stage, then they're going to be lifelong hunters. Um, And maybe, and maybe, and each kid's different, but I would, like I said, I would rather hunt with them when they're adults and young, you know, young teenagers than I would with them right now. And so that's why I'm taking baby steps into that, into that position. Yeah, I agree with that. Yep. All right. 100%. So uh, what do you do for a living? What's your real job? Yep. So day-to-day job, I work at uh, Cuddyback Trail Cameras. Okay. All right. Cuddyback. Up here in in Yeah. Okay. Now, you work at Cuddyback. What's your position at that company? um, Account manager is my technical title. So I work on the dealer side of things uh, mainly. All right. And then I also do all of our, uh, like, manage all of our content, social media and all that. Um, so in charge, all the posting and working with, uh, you know, kind of some influencer type stuff. We don't have like a dedicated pro staff, but I'm kind of in charge of managing all that and right. the content and social media. So, right. yeah, it's, uh, it's cool, man. Trail cameras are, uh, it's, they're not flowing now in even those states, you know, no. Kansas, they just, they just banned them on public land or yeah, just yep. public land. I think public it was, land. But yep. Yeah. I don't know. It's, uh, I don't think they're going anywhere. No. I, yeah, I think if that if that happened in the Midwest, there'd be a there'd be Riot. an uproar. Like it's, yeah. I mean, everyone has trail cameras. Yeah. It's they're, yeah. they're not going anywhere. Well, I I don't think it's it's as big of an issue in Kansas just from the sheer number of private land. the The private land outweighs the public land in Kansas. Like it's ninety. Kansas has between one and two percent public ground yep so it's not a yep. big deal like the majority of people who hunt are hunting on private just like iowa and so yeah. you take trail cameras away uh in in the states with the low public now now go out and try to take t- trail cameras away in a state like ohio or where they got a lot of public or kentucky or illinois or uh, maybe even wisconsin yep. or you know states like that where there's a little more public to to jump around on then, sure. then there might be an issue so i don't know yeah we'll, then you're talking we'll at, yeah I just wrote an article on private land, um, private land ownership and like how, you know, the deer, the the health of the deer herd in the U S has to go through private land, right? Mm -hmm. Like if big swings of like influence of populations and all that, it all goes through private land, all goes through private land. Like we think, you know, the public land hunting movement is a huge thing right now, obviously, but, um, I was reading the the NDA deer report a couple weeks ago and I, I wrote an article and it's like, I think Wisconsin 88% 88% of the deer were killed on private land. And you think of Wisconsin, you think of like tons of public land, right? Mm-hmm. And there is, but still 88% of the deer were shot on private land. And I think 86% of the deer in Michigan were shot on private land. Yeah. And then you go to states like Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, um, Kansas, Iowa, they're like 96, 94, 98% of the deer are all shot on private land. Yeah. So it's, you know, there's the huge public land movement that's great but if we want big changes of influence with deer it all goes through private land and that's yeah. uh i think people need to kind of be aware of that a little bit more too and, and it's good that all these pr- public land things are coming up because then these people on private lands do take that stuff to heart and they uh they start implementing a lot of those practices and whatnot but yeah it's it's crazy but uh yeah if they start banning trail cameras in, in big states i mean that would be then we're kind of talking but yeah, yeah, right now it's it's something to pay attention to, but yeah. I don't yeah. know how far it's going to go. Now, you mentioned you wrote an article, and I think the first time I uh, met you and we, we chatted, uh, you were and still are kind of a, uh, uh, I guess I would say an outdoor writer, correct? Like you do, you moonlight yep. and do that stuff, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yep. So I kind of run a side business doing that, have since like 2014. Um yeah, so it's you know it's not my full time job by any means, but I try to crank out a lot of articles per per year. Started out kind of writing for free and doing a lot of that stuff, and eventually, um, about the time like all the hunting public guys were doing their internships at Midwest Whitetail, yeah, that's when I approached uh, Bill Winky to see like, hey man, like can I write for the website or just like send you a few blogs to post or whatever? I'm just looking to kind of get started. 
Um, that was back in like 2015, 2016 when I did that. Mm-hmm. And he let me publish a bunch of articles there. Um, just did it for free. Didn't expect anything in return. And then I kind of snowballed into like, Hey, I kind of want to write about this or write about that. And then I started sending, uh, websites and magazines articles and here i am i consistently write for for kind of all the bigger magazines and then websites realtree and uh dre outdoors and um a few times for outdoor life and just a bunch bowhunting.com um all those guys so yeah i love it it's uh something to keep me busy on the side and get all my thoughts out and uh made a lot of really cool connections with people i think that's the thing that i enjoy about most is uh is the people and coming up with an idea it's like okay who can i who can i reach out to to get some get some quotes for an article and then you start talking and you're you know before you know it you're friends and you consider each other you know good acquaintances and whatnot so it's uh it's been a lot of fun yeah, yeah that's awesome man let me ask you a question it's and i i'm gonna ask it because i have no other way of like i don't want this to sound insulting but my question yeah. to, to you is is do you have to be a good hunter or a successful hunter to be a good or successful outdoor writer? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. No, no. Okay. Um, I, that's one of the reasons why I've kind of shifted my tone a little bit in my writing. So I started off kind of doing like the how to stuff and all that. And which was good. I had a lot of experience doing some stuff like that, planning food plots, um, just any sort of random article. Like if it was, if I felt pretty knowledgeable about it, I felt confident writing about it. But now like I don't kill monsters. Like I, you know, three and four year old deer, like nothing huge and giant. Like I, I mean, there's, I know people that have nothing to do with the hunting industry that slay giants every single year. Right. And here I am the one writing about, you know, stuff like that, but I've shifted my tone a little bit to more of like a journalistic approach where I try to chase down articles that, uh, maybe more on the conservation side. Like I just recently, wrote an article about uh, the Shawnee National Forest down in Southern Illinois and how a group is wanting to turn that into a national park and how it might affect hunting mm-hmm. in that national forest. And so I had to reach out to a ton of people, non-hunters, anti-hunters, some hunters, and just get a bunch of opinions. And it was awesome. Yeah. Like I got so many direct messages um, from people when I posted inside this Facebook group looking to have people reach out and give me their thoughts. It was insane. Yeah. I had never seen anything like that before. And that really had it had to do with hunting because I, you know, the bulk of the article was wanting to talk about how hunting could be affected if the Shawnee National Forest turns into a park. But I had people, for, I had hikers, horseback riders, everything reaching out to me. Yeah. And it was just so cool to see that. And I love that kind of like reporting journalism rather than uh you know okay three best ways to kill a deer during the rut i mean yeah you can only write so many articles like that um i mean i think you definitely have to for some credibility right like we i think you might feel the same way and other people in the industry possibly feel the same way where you have to you got to kill some deer yeah right like you have to have some sort of level of success Mm -hmm. but i don't know that you need to be out there like slaying giants and um, you know, shooting 170 inch deer every year. But yeah, I mean, I think there's a part of it for sure. I feel a little bit of pressure each yeah. fall when yeah. I, uh, when I get going and it's like, Hey, like I, this is, you know, for lack of a better word, it's good for business if you're shooting nice deer, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So I, now, now you got me intrigued. Um, what did you, what, when will that article launch or has it already launched about the, that Shoney national forest? Um, it hasn't launched yet. I'm writing it for uh jury outdoors and their deer cast app. Oh, okay. Um, All right. Yep. So I would say probably like even this week and it's right now, as we're talking, it's April 11th. So yeah. within the next couple of weeks here, it's should be. I want to point, you know, make sure you, uh, 
you know, if you're listening to this and cause I know a lot of guys who go down there every year and hunt that national forest. And so, and they okay. love it. They love it down there. And, uh, yeah. And so if something like that happened, that, that would jeopardize their out of state hunts. Cause they, you know, they're from Michigan or Ohio or wherever or Missouri. And then they go, they, yep. they hop across the river and head down there. And so oh, that would be, I'm, yep. I'm interested to see what that article's like. Yeah, no, it, I think it turned out really cool. I was, I like, I got more than I uh, signed up for when I took on that article. It was like, I got going. I'm like, holy crap, I could write a 3000 word article on this for like, a, you know, New York Times or something. It was yeah. crazy. It's just so many different opinions and the Shawnee National Forest, where it's located, obviously you probably know, um, it's at like the corner of Kentucky, yep. Tennessee, Arkansas, Obviously, it's in Illinois. It's close to Missouri. It's in, it's crazy, and I've yeah. I've heard there's some really good deer hunting down there, and it's just it's a huge um, swath of land that is enjoyed by people that hunt, yep. bike or uh, maybe not bike, but like hike and um, you know just photography and just anything you can think of. Yeah, and yeah, it's uh, I mean, yeah, those things like that are potential threats against public land and hunting, but. More or less, it was just a threat against kind of recreation in general. I'm not yeah. sure how turning into a national park would affect that, but it's a super cool topic. So I enjoy that type of writing. I'd say more than more than actual deer hunting now. Yeah, that that's awesome. Um, and so, but I, I I take it that you got to stick to the bread and butter uh, if you want work, right? I mean, not every you know North American whitetail isn't calling you up and going. Hey man, we need some deep journalism here for this article uh, on so, such yeah. and such. But more or less, they're like, "All right, uh, we need an article about hunting in mid-October, or we need an article to fill yeah. this slot." And then you just go, "Okay, yeah, I'll do it." Yeah, some kid slayed a 240-inch giant in Kentucky. You need to write an article about it. Right. Yeah. yeah, for sure, for sure. That's that's what's cool too. Is each magazine and website kind of has their their thing about what you know in north american whitetail i i really like those guys but their stuff is big bucks yep. cool stories giant deer some habitat stuff now they're kind of getting into deer and deer hunting is more of the research and uh biology type lean um and then you know some other outlets real tree and outdoor life it's you know a lot of reporting type stuff and a lot of how to's and it's great like you have to diversify and kind of contribute to everybody because each website or magazine has something different that they kind of focus on yeah but yeah you're right you, you do have to stay in the lane of deer hunting if that's kind of you know primarily what you do they're not looking to write on environmental issues and whatnot even though that's stuff that i do enjoy now yeah so let me ask you a question I, and and this is honestly how i started in the industry well i take that back so it was a side. It was a side thing for me. Um, I originally started out with White Knuckle Productions, where I yep. was, you know, doing uh, hunting videos and things like that. But also on the side, I was writing articles not only for my personal blog, but for um, the Iowa Sportsman, and so writing, you know, deer hunting and uh, for some extra cash. Right, I think I was getting paid a hundred bucks an article or something like that, and yep. and so. I felt like, and, and I would love to hear, because you're, you're legit, I'm not. Like, I, I'm nothing compared to the, the, writings, the writings that you do. But I will say that I feel that if, you know, I get it all the time. People, people go, hey, what would be the best way to get my foot in the door for the hunting industry? And I say, man, start writing. Yep. Start learning how to yep. write about your favorite things in the outdoors. There's always a need for it. And... And so I would love to get your, your thoughts on that. For sure. I 100% agree. Uh, real quick before I forgot, uh, before I forget, I know one of the, uh, there's a place that I write for that also does a bunch of uh, videos and short clips and whatnot. And they said four of the top 10 um, most clicked things on their website or whatever was, uh, were articles. Yeah. I thought that was great. Yeah, that just shows you like written written word isn't going anywhere, no. right? Like, nope. how many times do you talk to somebody and they say, "Hey, did you read that article about like this topic or such and such?" And it's you hear that all the time, right? So I don't think written words going anywhere, and that's uh, yeah, writing is an awesome place to start. I tell people that all the time, and 
um there's a big shift obviously towards video and production like that and, and that's all good but writing is still very very valuable um and there's still a need for it for sure i mean we uh i see some websites i mean i, I pay attention to pretty much everything that anybody writes and i know a lot of the writers and stuff like that but um i mean if you have great content and you can put a um a thought you know on a on paper on a computer you should say um you can there's room to be able to get into some of these places and and contribute and if you can just put a different spin on something that's already been written um that's the way to do it because yeah i mean the entry the barrier to entry to video is kind of tricky right now because there's yeah. a lot of i feel like there's a big there's a group of guys that are in the, like their 20s and early 30s like my age that kind of got that market like kind of wrapped up it feels like and you got to be pretty good to get into that yeah but writing it's like crank it out let's go like another article crank it out get it going like there's there's room to be able to contribute and it's a great way to get into the industry that's how i started i, I mean i i sat down at my kitchen table in 2014 and wrote some really bad blogs <laughs> they were terrible <laughs> i would I, it's funny to look back on them now i started like a I can't, can't even remember blog spot or something like that. And it was just bad. Yeah. Like it had no direction, no, uh, you know, no catch at all. It was, you know, terrible writing, but then I started kind of figuring out my voice and whatnot. And, and then you just keep going and going and you, you kind of, you sign yourself up for articles and you got to get them done and you put a little pressure on yourself and it, it can turn into something kind of cool. And I guess that's, that's where I'm at right now. I, you know, don't do it full time, but I, I love it. And it's, I think it's a great way for people to get into the industry if they if they want to. But I would say one thing I, I mentioned, I was talking to Josh Raley yep. a couple of weeks ago on his podcast. And I think a lot of people expect something in return right away. Like right. they want like they want to get paid immediately and they want like the bills to be, you know, they, they want a pretty nice check or they want a bunch of gear. And it's like, no, like slow down, contribute some articles. Uh, kind of provide some value to that company, whoever it is. Um, ask if you can do like a product exchange, like, hey, I'll take some high quality photos of your product or do a couple Instagram reels or, a, you know, not a very uh, high production like YouTube video or just something, though. Yeah. And, ex you know, expecting really nothing in return is kind of where you separate yourself and put yourself ahead of other people that are like, hey, I need this, this and this. And I'm not really going to live up to what I'm telling you I'm going to do. So I would say, you know, just provide as much value as you can to companies if you're uh, if you're trying to get into the industry and kind of get a start. Um, just don't expect much at, at first. It's a it's a small industry, and everybody knows everybody, and it's uh, you know you got to get in somehow. Yeah, that's a fact. I I don't need maybe my first twenty articles were unpaid. You know, just hey I here's here's some things that i've created and i reached out to some people if you like it you can use it if not you know delete the email or whatever and it took me a while yeah. and then i i got published in a couple uh couple magazines and and uh that was it really and then i transitioned into into podcasting full-time and i don't write anymore because i'm way better at talking than i am at uh, uh at writing and so and some may some may even argue argue that i'm not even good at talking so <laughs> so <laughs> yeah that, i got a good thing going right yeah now. yeah so i mean it, it sounds like uh you're able to you know everybody probably wants to hunt all the time but at least your mind is in the space a lot doing what you're doing oh for sure yeah like i have limited vacation i can i have three kids mm -hmm. my main hunting property like i said it's three and a half hours away in southwest wisconsin like i'm just like everybody else i i'm actually probably i probably i get to hunt probably less than everybody else right. like i know a lot of people that have uh just a little more flexibility in their jobs and they can or they live on their property or they live within an hour or so um i just i can't do that at my main property like it has to be a, a weekend type thing and then I might even, you know, I might use up all my vacation during the year and I got to take a few like unpaid days off or something like that. Like I just kind of do what it takes type of thing, you know, um, I try to try to balance it. But once once the season rolls around, it's hard not to want to be out in the woods all the time. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm lucky to be able to have access to, to a couple small properties up here um, near Green Bay. But uh, it's a struggle. I mean, I'm 
I'm just like the everyday guy that uh, tries to get out on weekends and then come late October, take a couple three, four day long weekends. And that's pretty much the extent of my like peak hunting. And, you know, and then it's into, into gun season and, and late season. So it's, yeah, you know, it's a balancing act for sure with three kids, as you know. Yeah. Yeah. Where, where else do you see, I mean, from, from your position, you know, as an outdoor rider, you also get to kind of ab- absorb and, um, from your, from your point of view, you get to see the, the outdoor content that is coming out. Uh, where do you see outdoor content kind of going? Because I, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll just end it with this. We have seen it go from the, the big time television shows. Those are slowly dying off to like web shows to YouTube to now even just like 30 second clips right obviously yep. that's the way of instagram and, and tiktok and whatnot where do you see yep. the hunting um industry or hunting content going yeah i don't think any one of those sectors is going to completely like die off um and even going you said you know tv stars mm-hmm. and all that that's that's dying but even i go even a step before that like outdoor writers in like the 80s and 90s were like the big deal i wouldn't stand a chance at doing that if i if writing was still like it was you know if it was like it like it was back in the 80s and 90s um but yeah you're right i mean everybody's attention span is getting less and less i don't so i think there's just going to be a more of a balance of like all those things you know writing video media um tv i think there's still that um that age breakdown of people that sit in front of the outdoor channel and watch those shows when they pop up in july um, and there's still those guys, myself included, that gets magazines cause I physically write, like reading them and I, I write for them, but even before I wrote for them, I still got magazines and then, yeah, I mean, Instagram reels, TikTok, all that stuff. I feel like there's just so many different ways to consume the content mm-hmm. that I think there's something kind of for everybody. And it kind of depends on your age. I really feel like if you were to break it down, you know, I mean, people from aged 15 to the 40 are probably heavy on the YouTube and Instagram and all that stuff. And, um, I don't want to group everybody in a, in a, um, range, but I mean, you know, from 40 on up, it's probably more the outdoor channel, some magazines, stuff like that. So I think, you know, and just talking from people in the industry and hearing kind of what TV and all that and where it's headed, um, I, st- I still think they're doing pretty well. Um, so I don't think any of those things are like completely going to die off, but, I just think, uh, I think there's something for everybody, which is good, but I think the people that adapt the quickest and make that transition are going to be the ones that are most successful. I think of going back to Bill Winky, you know, he was kind of the ahead of the curve when he started Midwest Whitetail doing the semi live show. And now that's replicated everywhere. Um, and he was kind of the first one to do that. So I think just following seeing what the trends are and where people are consuming the content is, is going to be critical. And I personally have tried to do more stuff on like Instagram, trying to just, you know, Hey, make short videos about what I'm seeing out there while I'm scouting or hunting and just kind of talk about it rather than always just write about it. I feel like I have some things to say too, and I want to bring those to people. And so, um, there's, there's a balance to all that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So what does, you know, you mentioned you don't really get out a lot uh, throughout the year compared to, you know, I don't know. I, I would guess that I hunt a little bit more than you. Uh, just I don't know why, but uh, you mentioned that oh. you, you don't hunt near as much as you'd like. Uh, what does your, your I guess, average year look like as far as getting out in the woods? Yeah, so I like to, depending on like what I plant for food plots, I'm not like a huge food plot hunter, but I really do feel that depending on what I plant, mm-hmm. it influences deer to move in certain ways. So like brassicas do really well where right. I hunt in southwest Wisconsin. Deer hammer them. And I've heard people down south, deer don't touch brassicas. They completely ignore them. It's a huge deal for us planting yeah. brassicas and stuff like that. So if I if I do have a really good food source, I see that like from opening day in Wisconsin, which is typically around like September 15th. Um, if I see deer moving in daylight, like, yeah, I'll hit it hard for a couple of weeks. I feel like the first two weeks of September can be really, really good. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so I will probably make a couple trips um, to my main hunting property and do that. And then I, I don't want, I don't want to get into this too much, but the October lull, it's real where I hunt. And okay. I don't, and I surrounded by a lot of people that are absentee landowners that don't hunt until the rut. Yeah. And I still see a dip in movement. Granted, and a lot of people are going to say, well, it's because you just said you're going to hunt in September a little bit. Yes, that's true. But I really do feel like there's some die off in October due to a ton of factors, which we don't, we don't need to get into all that. But, um, but it's also funny because I killed a buck last year on October 15th in the morning. So that's kind of, wait a second. No, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't say something (laughs) sucks and then, and then say, Hey, I found (laughs) success during that time. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah no i i'll admit that deer i probably killed that deer because i had a, a boatload of trail cameras out i'll fully yeah. admit that um that's a whole nother topic <laughs> we're getting into some rabbit holes here but um yeah so i mean i take a little bit of a break like mid-october if i'm not seeing a ton of good movement i'll just be like hey you know they're eating acorns they're betting they're betting close or in and around corn they're just not moving that far yeah. or i simply just don't have the super good fall cover that makes deer hang out directly like on my property and so i will give things a little bit of a rest in october and then ice like the magical date for me where it's like okay it's on is october 23rd i have so many deer over the past the history of running cameras and then buddies in the same county where i hunt October 23rd is like the day. Yeah. I don't care if it's like warm, cold, windy. I usually get a really good picture of a nice buck October 23rd mm. moving in daylight. And so that for me, that's kind of like, all right, like it's, it's starting to kind of heat up a little bit. And then, yeah. um, so I'll, you know, I'll start really paying attention to cameras and kind of seeing, checking out a lot of sign in person when I'm on my way to and from stands and then you know i think like october 27th 28th is like okay it's like it's time to go it's yeah. time to you know do all the honeydew things around the house and um like you know hey it's gonna be a <laughs> erica my wife that's her name it's like hey i'll see you in like three weeks it's gonna be like a grind <laughs> here. I, yeah i mean i'm gonna be around but like my mind is gonna be on hunting and yeah. it's just this three weeks of the year where i gotta focus and like really really grind and and try to make something happen and then you know because it's here and gone every year the rut you know it's what october 25th through you know october 15th let's or uh, november 15th let's say it's you know that's the bulk of when all the you know good bucks get shot and that's primarily when i do a lot of my hunting because i just don't have a lot of time if i lived on my property or if i had a bunch of time off or if i self-employed sure i might be out there doing doing a lot of grinding from other, uh, during other times of the year, but I'm not, and I, I'm not able to. And so I have to focus on the, on the rut and, uh, and early season, like a lot of other people do. Yeah. Cool. Well, are, do you take any out of state trips then on top of that? I have, I have not. No. Um, I have a relative that's out in Wyoming. Um, and I'm going to do that not this fall, but next fall, uh, muley antelope, whitetails, they, they have, kind of all three of those things and some passing out elk, which is really cool, but I'm going to be going out there for muley, I think. So um, yeah. that'll be fun. It's uh, you know, I want to get into more of the out of state stuff, but it's, it's like, man, I, where my parents live in Southwest Wisconsin is like, it's just gorgeous. And I, yeah. I love that area. Mississippi river classroom. Valley. Yeah. 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 The drift. I mean the driftless region, what yeah. everybody knows about yeah. um, it's been popularized, but yeah, that's where they hunt. And that's where I was born and raised. And um, they have a trout stream in their backyard. And then oh, 200 yards up on the ridge, we can shoot deer. It's it's fantastic. And so while I'd love to do that stuff and kind of put myself out there more, I don't have the time off of work to do it. My wife has a demanding job. She works full time. We have three kids. And I just, to be honest, don't really have a desire to to leave that area too much for hunting. It's just so beautiful. And yep. I... You know, I've shot some nice deer there and, um, no, I, I want to get into it more as I get, get into my later years, but for now it's, it's pretty much Wisconsin. There you go. Well, it sounds like, uh, I mean, you got the opportunity there. Good luck. If you get out, uh, turkey hunting this year, good luck 
you know, behind the, the bow or uh, the rifle or whatever it is you do for deer hunting. And uh, good luck riding and good luck at Cuddyback and, and just good vibes your way, man. I, I appreciate you taking time out of your day to, to uh, hop on the podcast and BS with me for a little bit. Yeah, Dan, it was great. Yeah, anytime. Anytime I'll hop on and talk about uh, dysfunctional kids and family life, <laughs> <laughs> all that, all that uh, crazy stuff that goes along with it, scorekeeping with the wife, anything, any big topic <laughs> you want to dive into. That sounds <laughs> yeah, just yeah, like a whole other podcast. You know, I, I mean, oh. not Nine Finger Chronicles, but just like, I don't even know what the, the title of the podcast would be, but it would be something like, the the family man hunter or something like that where we would just talk about you know oh yeah everything that you just mentioned dude for sure you could have like you know sportsman's empire and then like have a branch you know like the flow charts yeah like podcasts yep. you yep. could have like uh that's you know you need to do that a flow chart for all your podcasts of like answer questions okay do you argue with your wife okay go down to this podcast yes. <laughs> do your kids be in your yard okay yes you're, you're now at this podcast you know stuff like that you it's a whole new uh could be a whole new business model for you <laughs> and there you have it huge shout out to paul huge shout out to all of you for taking time out of your day to listen huge shout out to Tethered, Wasp, Hunt Stand, and Vortex. Please go out and support the companies that support this podcast. And last but not least, man, it's all about positive energy. Even today, now that I'm feeling low and I'm feeling tired and exhausted, I still want to emit that positive energy because, uh, man, positive energy wins everything. And so uh, good vibes in, good vibes out, and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you.